joy. Following on from the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. When we became Christians, we received the Holy Spirit. Why on earth do you think Jesus wants us to have joy? We've been through a period of time where I can't think of running across people who are upset, worried, fearful. What's happening in the world? Disease. Panic. We can't do this. Or we can't do that. Yet Christ tells us that the Holy Spirit he gave to each of us will give us joy. So what's so special about this joy that he wants us to have because he has given it to us? We don't have to look depressed. We should have a smile on our face because God's given you joy. Let's have a look at this joy. When we look at the definition, um, you're going to get an emotion evoked by well-being, success or good fortune or by the prospect of uh, possessing um, what one desires. So they're very much about a, this feels good, this is the joy. It's a bit like watching Jonathan win a basketball competition when he goes around chest pumping everybody. He is rejoicing, he is very happy. That's that kind of joy that we all think is just fantastic. But is that the kind of joy that God's talking about? I kind of suspect it's not. And when you look at, as David's always encouraging us, look at the Greek and see what it means, um, the word that we're looking at here is this one on the left there all by itself. Uh, I don't know how you say the Greek, but it's joy. But you can see the majority of cases in the New Testament, that's how it's interpreted. Right? Others will be um, exaltation or joy, which is what Jonathan it feels. Uh, leap, leap for joy, that's a Jonathan one. Rejoice, be glad, that's a Jonathan one. And with after joy. Right? So there's the contrast. But the one we're very concerned about is the one that's in the majority. And when you go back and look at the source of that word from the Strong's Greek, uh, chara, I can say that, but I'm not the right way, it's cheerfulness, but a calm delight. Gladness, greatly be exceeding, joyfully or joyful fullness. Right? That's what we're looking at. In the Old Testament, when we talks about um, joy, we, in the world today, people confuse joy with gladness and happiness. That's a, that's a fact. But they're not interchangeable. Maybe closely related, but not interchangeable. Although biblical joy is more a state of being than an emotion, a result of choice. Joy is from within. Regardless of what is going on around you, 
Happiness can be blurred emotion, dependent on a situation. Joyful people make a commitment to gratitude regardless of their circumstances. In the Old Testament, joy is closely related to victory over one's enemies. For example, in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 6, and they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistines. The women came out of all their cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. So when David returned from the killing Philistines, this is the joy that they were talking about. Then we see in Psalm 27, 6, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I'll offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord from Psalm 27 and verse 6. Many others. Joy also occurs frequently in songs of praise, most frequently in the book of Psalms, Chronicles. The prophets speak of joy, both as being taken away on account of exile, which talks about in Ezekiel, and in Joel. And of that joy they will return when the people are restored, as we see in Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 10. In the New Testament, joy is still used for victory, as shown by the disciples returning with joy, um, even when the evil spirits came. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Doesn't matter what you win or can do. But rejoice, be joyful, because your name's written in the book for heaven. The gospel begins with a promise of joy in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8 and verse 11. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Good tidings of great joy for all the people. No one was to be excluded from sharing in the good news that a newborn king, our saviour, had been born in Bethlehem. Even those who were shunned everywhere else, shepherds who travelled around handling and sleeping outside with their sheep could rejoice. And that joy would overcome the fear. In the three parables of Luke chapter 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and a prodigal son. Joy and celebration is at the forefront of Jesus' lessons. For each protagonist, in turn, rejoicing is the automatic reaction when they are faced with the return of something that is of great value to them, a sheep a coin 
or even a son. As it says in Luke 15, let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. The joy at the return of the prodigal son certainly foreshadows the even greater joy at the resurrection of Christ, the Son of God who is dead and rose again. The lessons taught by Jesus on earth laid the foundations for the early church, which was characterised by gladness and joy, as we're told in Acts chapter 2, verses 46, and Acts chapter 13, verse 52. In his letters to the various churches established after the death of Christ, Paul reminds the Philippians and the Thessalonians as he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16 to 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice in all circumstances, not just, not just some, not just when, oh, you know, when I might need it, in all circumstances. Why? Because that's what God wants. That's his will. Paul certainly knew adversity. Many of his letters were written from the deep darkness of a jail cell. But his letters were written to serve to remind us that adversity far from hindering our faith, can actually enhance our joy when we make it out the other side. This is the important lesson about the joy that comes from God. It encompasses all. Where Jesus is concerned, everyone is invited to share in the good news, in the feasting and the celebrations, from the, from the least to the greatest. We experience joy in our lives when we look and can look beyond our current situation. As Christians, we continually look to the future. We're looking to the promise of a saviour to come as we celebrate it today. We have a joy because we can forget about yesterday and see past today. Looking ahead at the future when Christ will return and all will be right with the world when he returns. On the night before Jesus was to die, he encouraged his disciples to look beyond the situation. In John we read about how Jesus is telling his disciples that he will be going away and that they cannot come with him, but that he will return one day to take them with him. He's foreshadowing his death on the cross. He's trying to get them to understand that as horrible as the cross is and his absence from them will be, they need to look past the horror and the sorrow of that day to the joy of a new day. He will return and be with them. In John 16 and verse 20, I tell you the truth. You will keep, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. There is no doubt we all go through times in our lives 
when we are facing some very difficult situations. It could be a financial crisis. It could be an illness, a loss of a loved one, a loss of a job. But we can still have joy. James turns the tables on those who would have had self-pity about the rough times in life that they face. And he says in James chapter 1, Count it all joy, my brother, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Consider these things with joy because God is using them to make you stronger. But also because you see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know that things won't always be this way. There will come a time when death will not exist, when pain will be non-existent and when all hurt will disappear. We can draw on that promise to take joy in it regardless of our current situation and circumstances. This is Robert Reed outside the doors of the Abilene Christian University who suffers from birth with cystic fibrosis. His hands are twisted, his feet are useless, he can't wash himself, can't feed himself, can't brush his teeth. Comb his hair, he has strips of Velcro holding his shirts together, his speech drags out like a worn out cassette, he has cerebral palsy. The disease keeps him from driving a car, riding a bike and going to walk. But doesn't keep him from graduating from high school or attending Abilene Christian University, for which he graduated with a degree in Latin. Having cerebral palsy didn't keep him from teaching at St. Louis Junior College or from venturing overseas on five mission trips. And Robert's disease didn't prevent him from becoming a missionary in Portugal. He moved to Lisbon alone in 1972. There he rented a hotel room and began studying Portuguese. He found a, uh, he found a restaurant owner who would feed him after the rush hour and a tutor who would instruct him in the language. And now he speaks Portuguese fluently. Robert Reed was a full-time missionary in Portugal for 21 years. He returned to the Abilene Christian University in 1993 and completed his Masters of Science, a degree in missions. Robert and his Portuguese wife, Rosa, have one daughter, Minnie. While Robert was in Portugal, he personally studied with and baptised 190 people. Many churches were established and most of the churches remain with local leadership and preaching. Robert finds his cerebral palsy a great way to meet people and to share the good news of the gospel of Christ. He's currently a volunteer at the John Middleton State Prison in Jones County, Texas, where he and his wife Rosa minister to inmates and tell them about the love of Christ. His passion is speaking to others about the blessings of God 
has brought into his life and showing the ways that he can take our weaknesses and transform them into tools for his kingdom. His famous line in every message that he preaches, I have everything I need for joy. In every message, that's what he closes with. I have everything I need for joy. When we come to the conclusion, as Robert did, that everything we need for joy, we possess in God. Our lives too will be held together and defined by joy. Robert looked beyond his current situation of a diseased body and saw the big picture that God had in store for him. We ask ourselves, what's holding our lives together today? Is it our job? Is it our family? Is it our hobbies? Is it the need for money? Or is it God? Andrew, sorry, Abraham Maslow, very famous in the counselling world, um, for he's an influential psychologist of the 20th century. Among his many contributions to psychology were his advancements in the field of humanistic psychology and his development of the hierarchy of needs. At the core of the humanistic psychology movement was the idea from Gestalt psychology that human beings are more than just the sum of their parts and that spiritual aspiration is a fundamental part of one's psyche. He says, I have found that every person who was sincerely happy, radiantly alive, was living for a purpose or a cause beyond himself. Sincerely happy, radiantly alive, was living for a purpose, as we do in Christ, do we not? Or a cause beyond ourselves. There is a great joy to be found in living and working for a purpose that is bigger than ourselves. The greatest work that we can ever do is the work of God. The whole idea of God giving salvation to man by dying for the sins of man through the person of Jesus Christ and then rising from the dead three days later. Defeating death is mind-boggling. What's even more mind-boggling is that God chooses us and has given us responsibility of telling this message to others and helping them to accept the salvation. We get to do that. We get to point people to Christ. We get to help reunite people with their Heavenly Father and their Creator. How exciting is that? How much joy? How much joy does that give us? The Apostle Paul suffered many things, from beatings, imprisonments, to shipwrecks, and ultimately death. But he maintained a spirit of joy in all circumstances he found himself in. 
He was able to do so because he was doing the work of God that he was called to do. He lived to serve Christ. And what really excited Paul was to have others join him in this work as he wrote in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 4 to 5. Always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The Philippians had partnered with Paul to accomplish the work of God. This brought joy only to Paul, but also to the Philippines. George Bernard Shaw, an Irish playwright, got to be a good bloke, an Irishman, um, is quoted this. This is the true joy in life, that being used for a purpose recognised by yourself as a mighty one. The being thoroughly worn out before you are thrown on the scrap heap and being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I think an Irishman can get away with that. Our lives are going to be used up in the same way. We ought to encourage each other to use it by participating in God's work, a purpose much bigger than ourselves, a purpose that will bring joy to our lives. Again, we turn to Paul and we see that joy he took in the Corinthians and Thessalonians people whom he invested his life in. When he writes... In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? (laughs) Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. We're going to spend our time building up and training people in the Bible. And we're going to work together with others in ministry experiences, in the community. We're going to watch these people grow in their faith and succeed. We're going to take great joy in their success. Let me conclude with this. Our challenge is to create joy in our lives even despite all the unhappiness in it looking beyond our current situation, participating in the work of God, investing ourselves in others. God wants us to have a life of joy. Remember, a big part of having life, joy, is our attitude and it's not hampering the Holy Spirit as he transforms our lives to make us more like Christ. 
Our love for God brings us joy in our lives. God desires for us a life of joy. He wants us to have joy in our lives. He wants our lives to be characterised by joy. Sure, we'll have hard times in our lives, but that doesn't mean that we can't have joy. That doesn't mean we can't see beyond the hard times. We can have joy in our lives all the time. I was trying to think of practical examples in this day and age of joy and I think as parents or grandparents, you know, that, that sense of not emotional like Jonathan, but the joy when you see parent, uh, parents observe their children or grandchildren opening presents. Your heart feels good. And I even had one last night. So the chefs are leaving from the show last night and um, I said, how was it? And he said, I really appreciate your people. Oh, a lot of them came up and thanked us and we felt good about that. And I thought, my people, my people, yeah, he observed there was something special about the group of people were there because he said, your people. Now, I can't explain to you the joy it brings to see he observed that and thanked us very much. That's the kind of joy that God's wanting us to experience in here. I didn't have to go around and jump around like Jonathan. It was just a good feeling. John writes, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. God has no greater joy than his children walk in truth, and John shared this joy. Therefore he nourished such children with his life and his teaching, and when children in this manner, it brings joy to the Father, and the Father's also will be the glory of the children. If you want to taste this joy which John called the greatest, then you have to walk in the truth yourself. And then this joy will be the fruit of life with a godly fear. 